I definitely was not asked back to our Tineo High School reunion. In a mean way, like they're trying to demean me um, and be like, you're a lesbian. <laughs> I just want to chase you down the road and honk and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Queer Tampa, where we like to fight for equal rights and eat pizza three nights in a row. <laughs> if you didn't know, I'm Jay. And I'm Ren, and we are so excited to be back here with you this week. Yes, we are. It has been really stressful, not gonna lie. I don't know about anybody else out there that's um, in school or, you know, just having a busy life. It is just with the holidays coming up, we got a lot going on. I am taking finals. I am just like having a lot. I don't yeah. know. Feels like I blink my eyes and it's another day. So yeah, it's definitely been a lot. It's funny because we recorded this interview because today is like our first ever um, interview for the podcast, which is really exciting. Um, I cannot wait for you guys to get to listen yes. to this artist and meet Kale today on the show. But we did this interview, I want to say, almost like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting to get the uh, get everything produced and get everything out to you. So yeah. thank you for being so chill. Yeah, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I love talking to everybody. You guys are so cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, we have a um, meeting coming up. A yeah. meeting. <laughs> I call it a meeting. So boring. Okay. <laughs> but like we get to meet everybody soon. Looking forward to that. Yep, it'll be on Sunday at the Independent in Seminole Heights, and it's at 5.30. So we will be publishing this, I think, about 24 hours beforehand. So if you're listening to this and it's hot off the press, come and see us. Come hang out. And if you are listening to it after, and maybe you got to meet us, or we got to meet you, really, um, that's cool. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you in advance for coming. And if you didn't get to come to this one, just know it's something we're going to be trying to do every single month. So follow our Instagram at Tampa in order to see the dates. Yeah. I'm trying to keep them in our bio so that, you know, it'll always be front and center. And I message, you know, all of you too and just let you know what's going on. And like, let's build this momentum. I know the first one's probably going to be, you know, a few of you. And then we're, let's like, let people know about this and tell our friends so this way we can get more and more of an alliance with everybody and and build more and then maybe like i was talking to run about this we could you know do events where we go maybe hiking or we could go do bike rides or we could go to like those weird things where i don't know this is not what i would like to do but if any of you would like to that weird axe throwing thing like i see people love that so I don't know, just some ideas, just go and do like an actual like thing instead mm -hmm. of just sitting around. But like, of course, for the few first ones that we do, we want to get to know everybody. So kind of like dating, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. but it'll be so much fun just to get to hang out with you guys. Um, so yeah, we're really, really excited about that. I did a little shopping for it. We're going to have rainbows everywhere and some little cute gifts to give away um, for everybody who comes. So we just can't wait. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. So without further ado, here's our interview with Kale Roberts. She is an artist, performer, and amazing event facilitator. And here we go. Kale, welcome to the podcast. Um, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? So name, pronouns. Yes. Um, my name's Kale. I pretty much... Um, I'm across the board on pronouns. Mm -hmm. I am 
flexible with them because not everybody has been exposed and have access to language. So um, as long as it's with respect and kindness, that's really all that matters. I tend to personally like um, with my close friends, female, like she and her pronouns. And that's simply because I have a more masculine appearance right now and a huge chunk of my uh, feminine identity is uh, hidden underneath my clothes. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's both political and also affirming to all histories. So, but they, them also works beautifully. I'll just take them all. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And you are, so the biggest thing that, I mean, when I think about you and the time that we've known you, I always think about you and like your art. Like, tell me a little bit about like when you first kind of got into art and what that, like what role art has kind of played in your gender identity and like coming along in your queer journey. Um, I don't think I've ever been outside of art. Like if I, if I do a backdrop of my history, I was, I've either been playing sports or or making something or just play in general. So I will we'll do a mom story. Uh, I was told that I had ADD and should have been put on Ritalin. This is back in the um, early, like late 80s, early 90s. And my mom pretty much refused to. And as a byproduct, just stuck me in as many sports as I could play. And as public school kind of like failed me over and over again for different stories. Um, I eventually wound up in a Montessori school on scholarship and through between Montessori school and sports, it really taught me how to work with my hyperactivity, my ADD and not use um, chemicals as a way to do that. And because Montessori school is more geared um, towards learning with your hands and actually having physical projects and objects in order to learn through. So like if you're doing division, you're not doing division on paper, you're doing division by, by dividing beads into little cups on, on wooden objects on a mat that you roll out on the ground. So it's very physically involved. And I think just as a, a byproduct of being nurtured in those sorts of environments, you know, soccer is performance and Montessori school um, was playing with objects and learning through objects. I think that those two things have just like painted, painted my yellow brick road that I just kept prancing down. For those of you that don't know, so Kale has this very, like one of her art pieces is a, is your vehicle, right? It's like your full-time mm -hmm. vehicle that you drive. It's a truck and mm -hmm. it's like this amazing skin that's on it. It's very bright and colorful and like, when I last saw you, you were kind of showing me pictures from in high school, and I was really surprised to see that, like, your high school truck that you had was almost like a version of this, like, I mean, a way earlier version, but it was still very artistic and performative. Like, where did that idea kind of start for you? It's like, sometimes you have to go past things and not know why you do them in order to rewind and figure out the stories in the past that maybe have influenced where you're at right now. Mm -hmm. So... As I've been digging and found that photograph from high school, and as I've started to unpack just different narratives from my family, you know, my father um, remodeled and restored old antique cars. And for as much as I wanted to, growing up as, uh, I'll put in quote marks, a little girl, I was never really shown 
how to work on a car or how to do any of these. And I mean, he had an extensive collection of cars that he was working on. And I would just sit at his shop for hours and never get really shown how to do anything because it was too dangerous. Um, and I, and you know, too dangerous for someone when he started driving when he was 10 years old and started working on cars. So there's not, there's like a, a gap between that. So I fast forward through all of that and I'm in high school and I have this car and I'm playing sports, but I'm also going to art class. And a lot of these groups don't even intermingle. Um, and my car was such a piece of shit. <laughs> my mom was like, whatever you want to do to it. Like, you just, you just do whatever you want. And so, you know, my room, I had already completely turned in this cave with every, like from floor to ceiling, I had stuff hanging from the ceiling. I had stuff on the walls, the closets opened up into something different. So for me, I think it was already trans, you know, changing the space in my bedroom. So it just transit, you know, transitioned the space on the exterior of the car and also like being part of Austin. So my father's side of the family was in Austin there were always um, art cars everywhere. You know, that the old phrase, because it's really changed a lot in Austin. But it's like, keep Austin weird, whatever that used to be. <laughs> um, and so my, gosh, when I would drive around with my mom, we would see an art car and we would pull over and get excited and then take our like disposable camera in the car and then take pictures by it and then hop back in and drive mm -hmm. off. Like there's always that. an opportunity to stop and look. So um, as I'm, older and as I'm doing this project like although I started this project for very different reasons I think back of the influences of where of like why I'm taking this in you know it's I know it can be really dangerous to say but I'm not trying to reinvent like I'm not trying to make a wheel I feel like most things have already been done unless we're talking about technology or just rehashing and as being queer and having a lot of our history not really identified, especially because we, queer is such a new terminology. So when we look at bodies in the past and we're like, oh, they're queer, we're like, well, really, were they queer? Or what was happening at that time? And could they identify as queer? And like, what is queer now? What is queer then? It's like, you look back on these narratives and you're still like, I don't know where I exist in the past. And so we take these objects from the past that we've like been excited by or taken in and I'm like, okay, there is something queer about that for the way that I'm using the word now. And I want to translate that in a contemporary context. Like I want to rewrite this ritual. I want to rewrite this object. I want to infuse our history, both in the past and the present. So, you know, there's, when I think of like our stories and our narratives as a whole and even individually, that's how I'm kind of working with the cars. And um, really I started this because I live in the South and I drive a truck and um, you know, the campaign for Trump was coming up mm -hmm. and the violence was getting amplified out here and the brassness of toxic masculinity and Confederate flag culture tied to trucks was really um, starting to stain the landscape mm -hmm. even more out here. And so this is a pushback and it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah so it's almost like your rebellion to that or like your answer to that movement in general but it's awesome like I know that whenever I see your car out on the road I'm always like oh my god it's Gail and like I want to pull over and snap a picture too so like <laughs> I just want to chase you down the road and honk and do it. <laughs> <laughs> well 
about to, there are times in the car when I'm like really pensive and like really in deep thought or like having a rough day and like somebody starts honking I'm like what is going on and I can't see the exterior but then all of a sudden I look at my dash and I'm like oh you're wrapped in a rainbow clad teeth bearing truck with flags on it it's like take it down a notch it's like that is so normal to you you almost forget how strange it is maybe through other people's eyes right or how how different it is yeah yeah very fun well I um I love hearing about you saying like in high school you wanted to be so expressive I know Jay and I have talked about this on previous episodes but we both felt very scared awkward um almost like in total denial of even being gay or having gay feelings in high school. So like, I just, I, I don't know. I just think that is so badass that you felt so free or whether you felt free or not that you just still wanted to do it anyway. I mean, that's really, that's kind of huge. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's like, I can talk about and paint a picture of high school. That's like a lot of fun because I really do have a lot of play and a lot of fun in my life, but you know, figuring out our identities and floundering through that is not an easy task. And it was like, you couldn't pay me any money to like add all those crazy hormones back in my system again, and then try to rehash that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like I did know that I was gay in high school and I was dating a woman at the time. Um, It some point uh, it's got to be a, a little mini series or something but I was going to a Lutheran high school they were going to an Episcopalian school and we were like two lesbians from from different tracks going to opposing you know indoctrinating schools <laughs> <laughs> trying to survive so you know and at that time I my mom because folks in my school were getting threatened and kicked out for being gay there was a lot that I recognized that I had privilege and access in staying in that school. Part of that was because I was a jock and I was playing on the men's varsity team. Um, I was starting freshman year with a team of majority of seniors and um, that earned me a lot of access in the school. Um, so much access that the the three friends of mine who were lesbians in that school um, were getting threatened by that by that high school to get kicked out because they were having a negative influence on me. So there was a really weird tension that was happening, and you know one of those one of those people I'm still very close friends with. Matter of fact, their family is my family friends out here. I'm going to go and have lunch with them, their mom and dad on this Thursday. But, um, you know, their my identity, I like, I put in quote marks, I wore on my sleeve, but n- never said out loud. You know, it's a very, it was very much a don't ask, don't tell situation. They're like, you're good. You, you make good grades. You play sports. You're okay. But then there were also ways in which I was pushing the envelope and the edges. And I told the story on the last podcast, but I was like, I was making good grades. I was playing on the team. I read the manual from, from front to back and I, and it said you could wear Doc Martin style shoes. And I was like, oh, great. We can wear Doc Martin style shoes. So I brought in Doc Martin style shoes that had flames painted all over them. And that's what I wore to school. (laughs) And it started to open up the door so that, and I started to wear creepers and other things. So they were like, well, it, 
guess it does say that in the manual. And I guess you make good grades and play sports in this sort of classic good old boy narrative. So mm-hmm. you go do you. So there are ways in which I tried to like bring in my identity and there I did make active changes in the school. Not not that I do was doing that when I was younger for those reasons, but as I look back, I was like, oh, this actually kind of reverberated in different ways that I don't even know if they would acknowledge. Just fine. Wow. I definitely was not asked back to our Tenniel High School Union. <laughs> I was I was student council president and I was vice president of my class and I was definitely excommunicated out from that. Oh my gosh, would you have gone if they if you got the invite? Yeah, totally. Totally. I just at this point I'm way too queer for them. <laughs> <laughs> They're lost, I think. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, for sure. I think I'll probably go and drive the truck and do a photograph in, in front of the school at some point. Oh yeah. I did have teachers that were in there that had left afterwards that made huge impacts on me. So even though um, places were complex, there are like four teachers in particular that I can remember that without them, I wonder what my survival would have felt mm-hmm. like. There were definitely two or three people that I went into in really intense moments and was able to have conversations with that without that, I think I just would have felt suffocated and silenced. You can understand that. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. But you have that. Right. What about y'all? Well, um, for me in high school, I did get the invite to my 10 year reunion. (laughs) It's a very small school um, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Most of the people like still live around there and not bad people, but I don't know, like I'm not in the spirit of wanting to revisit or relive like any of that. I'm totally cool with it just being in the past. I don't know. What about you? I went to a technical high school in Brooksville, Florida, and um, (laughs) that's when I came out, was when I was uh, about 15 in ninth grade, and I absolutely was so weird. I wore Hot Topic clothes and had Mm -hmm. blue hair, and it was awesome. Yeah, (laughs) totally weird. I was an awkward (laughs) black person that just never said anything to anybody. I had like a small group of friends that were, we all wore black clothes, and we were fake goths you know how it is so it was really super cool yeah but it was a good it was a good high school honestly it was I got to go when it was first built it was a technical high school so it was like everyone was kind of just figuring it out so there was a lot of like okay everyone can just hang out like it's fine no worries and just it was a it was a good group it was it was kind of cool in the beginning but after a while you kind of I don't know it's it's a weird time in high school for sure yeah especially when hormones <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah I remember like um because I had my first girlfriend in high school and like maybe we held hands once but I think every it's like everybody knew she was bisexual or whatever and so just the fact that I was associating with her people would be like in a mean way like they're trying to be mean to me um and be like you're a lesbian like across the lunchroom you know like making eye contact with me to be like yay and all this stuff but Uh you know and I'm like no I'm not and then you know obviously like I am but it was just it's just so it is it's just such a weird experience and it's crazy really to think about like people now and social media being a factor in that I just don't even know if I could have handled any of that so 
it's just, it's wild to think about. I spent a lot of time riding around on my bicycle by myself. And mm -hmm. I do wonder about social media and like being able to escape the lens of things. Right. What that's right. like, how that relief is changing. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful ways of, of, about it. And then there's also some really just very probing public elements of it that, you know, at some point I look forward to talking to some of the up, upcoming youth that are dealing with high school right now that are that can talk about identity I mean and then also like as they continue to get older like being able to have conversations past that in the same way that we're able to reflect back and go okay here's where I'm at now here's what it was like to grow up with a camera in my hand and in my mom's hand and on the wall and in my car and everything right. <laughs> true really though it's so true and on you know on the one hand I think the one benefit is that you see you're not a freak you know, you're like, you're not alone. You're not that, like there are other people out there in the world who, you know, you can relate to if they're not there with you in your town. But I don't know about you guys, but I was like bullied really bad ever since I was young. I don't know why, I guess I'm an easy target in some way, but just constantly bullied. So to think about social media gives me like a heart attack because it's like, oh my God, it would have just been another way that people would have bullied me. <laughs> What identities were they targeting yeah. for you? Which, what, what identities were they targeting? I don't really know. Like, I think that they just were, people just picked on me. Like, I don't even know if it was identity okay. based, but it was just everything. Like my freckles were a big thing people wanted to make fun of. Just, I, I mean, everything. Okay. I don't know. And I feel like yeah. I look pretty stand, like, you know, standard, like, all-American, like, I don't know, um, yeah. I definitely don't feel like I stand out in any way, so it wasn't about my differences, I think, I have no idea, it was just always, yeah. just a target, so. I didn't, I have, I didn't experience, I can tell stories in which some bully moments happen, and some scary things happen to me, but I feel like for the most part, I, sports really were a shield from that but I used a lot of that privilege and I and I hung out with the geeks I hung out with the artists I hung out with the fringe groups and you know any any group of people that I was you know like there were a couple of uh, boys on my team that um, I was close to um, and our school was, was small like you know we only had I think 70 people in our graduating class so it was relatively small, but I would host these um, parties with my mom and they would, they were like completely non-alcoholic parties and stuff. Cause most people thought that I was on like doing drugs or on drugs. And I, especially through high school and even up until I got into grad or undergrad was very straight edge. Um, I have a couple of like drinking stories I can tell you of like <laughs> experimenting, but I just never like to play the sports at the level and how frequently I was, I was too much of a control freak and had too much at stake to prove to everyone. Mm -hmm. And, um, but most people thought I did. So then we would have these non-alcoholic parties. Everyone would bring like $5 and we would make giant bats of spaghetti for everyone and then watch movies and have a slumber party. And the boys would sleep outside in the car in sleeping bags. And my, the, my father at the time, uh, my stepfather would bring them like, hoes and cokes and ding-dongs and stuff in the middle of the night and then we would all wake up in the morning and do a waffle party wow and so like that's kind of how 
I tried to, to blend some of the groups and the fringers that I was close to in all these different communities that were not necessarily connected, but then we would have these things and stuff at my house that weren't so driven like an, an episode from Cruel Intentions, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Man, that is really cool. It's great that in those circumstances, like your family seems really supportive of everything um that you was my mom and I that's awesome yeah it was just my mom and I she was a single Mm -hmm. and um single mom and built a really amazing community around us to like support from there so I want to transition into some dating talk um obviously I think that being queer and then taking that one step further from you know being cis right and identifying as like your born body or whatever I feel like fab and amab assigned female at birth yes um I feel like that would make dating even like one step more complicated um in terms of like finding a partner and then you know like you admitted uh the last time we spoke about some emotional labor that has kind of had to go into some relationships and then that kind of thing so um, how yeah. has dating been for you? Um, you know, I've, I was in a um, polyamorous relationship for eight years and was poly for 10 years and um, poly and open. I was dating a, um, a woman who was uh, cis femme, um, identified as a lesbian and as queer. And it was like, even, even through that, even through partners um, beyond her, there was always a part of my identity that challenged a part of who they were. And um, the, the easiest way to phrase it is like, if I'm dating as, some, as being genderqueer or gender radical or lots of layers or however you want to say, <laughs> um, if I am dating a heterosexual man, he's all of a sudden gay because I have a beard. And if I'm dating a gay man, he's all of a sudden um, straight uh, because I have a pussy. And so these things like flip-flop on the table. And that's also like, I'm stating those things with very rigid language, just to give an example of the um, identities that are held. And, um, And then identities shift the way that people consume your relationship too, right? So Although I'm dating, I, I would be dating someone that is a, a, a cis femme woman who identifies as being a lesbian. As I started to like become more masculine, like their identity as being a lesbian publicly really started to shift because the way that they were consuming that relationship, all of a sudden, it become became a more surface like heterosexual. So then, her visibility starts to change and go away, and. Um, I, you know, you, I hear a lot of these conversations too, like somebody that's bisexual, it's like that idea of a fixed identity that happens where they're like, oh, you know what, you're dating a man now. So you've just been waiting. You're actually straight. And you're like, no, that doesn't make my entire history right. devoid. <laughs> and, um, and so there's been a lot of just um, emotional labor, both with partners and troubleshooting through their insecurities. And I think it's, it's complex too because you know how many of us like I really try to hold a very solid and um, embracing grounding for those that need to be in stealth about their identity 
And, you know, like, I don't know what your family dynamic is. I don't know what your safety, where your safety lies or your job safety lies or any of these things. So, you know, yes, um, we can have a conversation about how visibility can change the world and make social impact. And also we need people on the inside out making change. And just because the visibility is not there doesn't mean that change isn't happening. So with that, it's like, there's just a lot of micro subdual caretaking and nurturing that comes with that. And I think we all deal with that on some level within our relationships because we're all coming into them with baggage, right? We all have our histories and our traumas and we're trying to swim through that. Um, but I think that the added gender and sexual layer that come with it and the rigidity of performances both in the bedroom and through clothing and through language that come into that as well just become exhausting. And so um, as I've cruised on Grindr and hooked up with different types of men and both gay men and queens and trans women and um, men that are looking for masculine women on Grindr that identify as heterosexual, like there's just like a whole gamut. And anytime I would connect with any of those folks, there was always a part of my identity that still challenged where they were setting at that moment. And so, you know, if I'm hooking up with a guy who's like, I just want um, a masculine woman, I'm like, great. So here's the language I need and you have your fantasy and I'm going to have mine. <laughs> and so there was a lot of negotiating I had to go through with that stuff. And, and I don't think, I think coming out of my last relationship, I didn't believe that there was going to be someone that could check off all those boxes I didn't because I'd never seen it I was like oh I just this is just some this is just the way my lifestyle is going to have to be and I'm just going to have to continue to troubleshoot it it's not that I'm settling it's just like I can't stress out about this fantasy of putting something that I'm creating of a utopia on a pedestal and, and reach for it and so I just kind of like let that go and just went into two years of being a bachelor and just kind of like meeting and connecting in these different ways. Um, I can say that there is also an embodiment that I'm finding with, like, especially with the person that I'm with now, that is very fulfilling because of being able to relate to that in the world that we're in right now. And having embodied growing up as a, as a woman, as a lesbian, as a you know, as a tomboy, whatever labels you want to put as a, as a kid and being consumed by men in that way and being not being denied certain things in that way. Um, now looking more masculine, having a beard and presenting this different ways, there's a double lens that I have. And so I find that I have men in my life that we do talk about the pressures that they have and the things that they're dealing with and the struggles that they're dealing with. But in a partnership, I do feel more at home with somebody that can relate to some of those double lens experiences because you almost can if I would think like be more at peace it's like you don't have mm -hmm. to carry that tension of like I'm gonna need to explain right. this or someone there was a microaggression today that really set me off but I don't know how to explain that to you know and I just need someone to be there for me but now you have this person who has just that scope and understands it yeah right and so like Meeting Co and and being with them has like <laughs> unhinged me in the best ways because I've never had that that experience where none of that am I having to swim through and deal with. 
-hmm. and it allows for so much more and such a deep grounding and comfort to date somebody that's genderqueer is like (laughs) for me (laughs) well okay and you two have been in a long distance relationship where do they live uh they are in massachusetts okay yeah very awesome and how has the long distance situation been going jay and i we started out long distance and by long distance i mean like an hour away but yeah, that's still okay <laughs> that's still outside of like normal life like she wasn't really a yeah. part of my day-to-day life aside from like chatting or talking on the phone um so I still feel like it's long distance but I did okay. see you every weekend yeah so it's not really the same but how has that been for you guys yeah I've had I've had a couple long distance relationships and um there's benefits and there's also things to troubleshoot through in all of them mm-hmm. like obviously communication is huge i'm um in the in the successful elements both in this one and the successful portions of my past ones i love mail i love mail sending packages boxes i send friends packages all over the world mm-hmm. i like have boxes set up around the house and as i find things i toss them in there i, I like that. to see what i can get away with sending in the mail um, <laughs> <laughs> there's the handwritten and objects and, and things that can be sent to the mail that are fun, that are paced, right? Because it takes longer to get there. On top of that, like Skype, FaceTime, digital messages. There's this, there's this book that I was reading before the technology came up where it was queering future technologies and they were depicting um, these watches, which have since come out. So this was, book was written about seven years ago but these watches that you would then wear and you could carry in a polyamorous dynamic all of your partner's heartbeats on your arm so you could see and and interact with them and although that you're not you know we're not necessarily carrying our our partner's heartbeats on them we are able to send that text message of our heart racing where we can put our thumbprint on Mm -hmm. and that's just really like what a radical loving long distance gesture to have through technology. And um, so I do a lot of that um, future planning. So right now dating someone that's in Massachusetts is hard, but they are, I can also still fly into um, what is it? Uh, Boston or New York. And although it's like a, you know, a couple hours difference away from where they're at, the tickets can be cheaper. So keeping up on the Southwest <laughs> deals and, and being like, all right, especially cause you can always exchange a ticket. So it's like, I'm making a payment plan just in case that date doesn't work out for job reasons or art or anything like that. You're like, okay, this ticket's round trip, $80. Hey babe, I'm planning on coming to visit this weekend. Does that sound good for you? And I already bought the ticket. And if they're like, no, you're like, okay, well, I've got a credit for $70 now. So we're good. And we'll apply that towards the next ticket. So just like future planning, things like that. Um, I just like all the tech. As an artist, I need all the tactile materials. So I want objects. I want letters. I want to talk. I want to see you. Um, With Co, what's been amazing is I've never dated anyone that is such a voracious book reader and they're totally nerdy and um we've already audio booked one book we have like three other ones going I'm actually where is the book that I oh it's underneath here 
I found, I went to the spooky empire dressed as Powdered Toast Man, and I found this uh, 1970s science fiction analog that I've been reading stories out of. (laughs) So, you know, they were the queer art of failure. They would leave me little messages of segments that they would read on my iPhone. So that's Mm -hmm. how I roll with long distance a little bit. And then I'm about to fly out to Boston next week. That's such a beautiful story. I feel like um, what I really missed and like loved when we were long distance is that kind of stuff. It's like, I feel like you try a little harder sometimes to like do these like romantic gestures or like really be putting in this time for these little things. And then I also feel like the time when you're together is so high quality. Like the phone is going to be off. Like it's, you're totally consumed by them for those two days or 24 hours that you're together before you go back to your real life. And it is, it's like, it's very just wonderful. It is like very, I don't know. I want to say sensual because it is, it's just like consuming of all the senses and just, I don't know. There's something special about it for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with Co and having come out of our histories the way that we have, I am excited about the potential to live with them and what that is going to look like. I, um, you know, and see, it just depends on like economics and viability, but it's like, I do like the idea of having two separate bedrooms and it doesn't matter if you spend the night together every night, but just having those like identity separations a little bit or being like, okay, I need to just like retreat into the space for a moment. And then I'm, be with you but there's definitely a longing like as I'm now like I just want to wake up and see the person next to me I just want to have that excitability of the person coming through the door at the end of a work day like there are those routines and stuff that I'm missing and really looking forward to at some point so you know there's there's shifting and stuff that comes along with it and as you say that in my head I'm just like oh okay that's a good negotiation to say like I still need the sensuality to be here so when things get really hairy we need to future plan in the same way that we've been travel planning now mm-hmm. where we just like leave the world for two days yeah to go yeah. be invested in, in each other yeah. Yeah. oh yeah because it's really easy when you live with somebody to just slide into the um more of like the service element of your daily life mm-hmm. in terms of like chores responsibilities career let's feed each other, let's get ready for bed, you know, so it's Mm -hmm. easier to default into some of those love languages as opposed to, you know, the gifts, the constant words of affirmation, and then those really physical moments from, you know, when you see each other for the first time in two or three weeks, it's just, it does take a little more effort, but there's a lot of beauty, like you're saying, in those day-to-day rituals, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And are you planning on, and you said you're moving up there to Massachusetts? Um, my, there's no official set um, time frame. It's, there's a lot of shifts that are happening because of tailgate projects going on tour. And so there is a potential move that can happen um, right after that tour that's going to be in um, um, uh, May, June. And so kind of getting ready um, and situated. It's, it's kind of crazy. Cause I just, um, just purchased the house out here. <laughs> so kind of like getting that situated and squared away and then kind of transitioning from there. Um, there's just a lot of working things that are in the mix because, um, 
they're in the middle of a job transition and working on full-time teaching coming out of having done full-time teaching at a university for three years. And so um, as those start to fall, as the puzzle pieces start to fall in place, I'll have a better idea of the next decisions Mm -hmm. that I can make to move. So very cool. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this tour that is coming up for tailgate and you know, what can our listeners do if they want to um, get involved or learn more or find you? Yeah. Um, So tailgate projects is um, a platform performance space and gallery as I do the daily. Um, I use it so I have used the truck bed to do performances and host variety shows out of using many different types of performance artists. Um, The flags in the back of the truck get changed out every couple of months and I'm always looking for new artists to um, design flags uh, with me for the back of the truck so that we can continue to have that and that exhibition space and um, collection going. Uh, I work with artists both in detailing the interior and exterior of the truck in the same way that we have tricked out car culture as well. Um, For the tour that's happening, we're going to be starting in Tampa and driving it all the way out to land in um, LA for Queer Biennial. And I'm looking to be hosting events across the United States as we do that drive that can help to pay for the gas to get across so that we, every each place that we stop, we stop for two or three days, do a pop-up um, happening and then moving on to the next space. So the truck can be utilized as a platform where I work with a group of people, or it can be like, hey, I see that you have put a stripper pole in the back of the truck and I would love to do performance out there do you have a PA system these sorts of things and I can bring my bubble blower fog machine PA system and then do a tailgate party night where it's theming off of that so it's a very flexible open space that's just a, like based off of community rituals around tailgating and hijacking sports culture for art <laughs> so yeah yeah yeah, and um, I would say the the ways in which we're needing it, we're going to be setting up and um, working with y'all to help get the website built and set so that we can um, start doing active um, donations and crowdsourcing to kind of let people know this is what the tour looks like. This is what we're going to need to get it started and going. The tattoo shop and piercing shop that I work with, LaRue Body Arts and Adornments, Um, are opening their second location and so they want to do a tailgate kind of pop like happening uh, for their grand opening which should be happening in a couple months so Mm -hmm. there are ways to kind of get involved with that and really I would just say shoot me an email at um, tailgateprojects at gmail.com and um, or reach out on Instagram you can either do my personal Instagram which is flesh piece like a piece of flesh Mm -hmm. and or um at tailgate projects and that's tailgate projects with an s awesome well before i let you go um knowing that we have quite a few artists in our audience um i was Mm -hmm. just wondering if you could share one piece of advice to a young queer artist who is looking to you know build their career and portfolio out there find community because isolation is what drives us down and the most inspiration and my strongest creative moments come out of passion 
both by being provoked and also through love. So if I have community and I have people around me that I'm having really lush, rich conversations with, I make great work. If I'm having to troubleshoot through trauma with my close friends, I'm able to make good work. So, um, and in those moments when you can't make work, physical work, or don't feel like you're an artist because you're not actually making, just take a deep breath because just live an artful life and figure out what that is for you because when it's time, you will make. Thank you so much, Kale. Thank yeah. you so much. It's been such a pleasure to of have course. you and, and you will be seeing you soon, but Absolutely. I hope that everybody comes and yeah. follows you and then we might be doing a crossover event with you with the LaRue opening. Yeah. So that's in the works too, but all right. right thank on. you. Well, <laughs> see you later. Ciao. Yeah. Bye. All right, everybody, that concludes our interview. We have some other amazing queer guests coming up. Our goal with this podcast is to really spotlight diverse voices from all different backgrounds and in all different industries. So if you know somebody who you think would be a great fit for that, if you yourself feel like you would like to be interviewed and featured, please reach out to us on our Instagram page. We would love to get to know more people and be able to shine a spotlight um, especially on those that don't get a lot of opportunities to speak and have their story heard. Plus, we're all out here, and some of us don't even realize it, you know? People just even walking down the street. We all have all these beautiful talents, and we're capable of so many things, and let's talk about it, you know? Let's get to know each other, and just, it's just, that's what this is about, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, another week down. I mean, I hope that we get to talk again and not just in a month from now. So we're going to try to be a little bit more regular with this. And um, now that I'm finished with school, we're going to really make that a priority. So thank you guys for being so patient. And uh, until next time. Yes, we'll see you soon. Thank you.